What you generally want to go for with this deck is you want to get them out as early as possible. So mana rocks are going to be a must. You want to deal combat damage, but you don't care about dealing a lot. So if you have ways of giving it haste, even if it reduces its power, so long as you can get that one hit in, you're good. It is highly recommended you have some way of either giving it haste or some kind of evasion, such as Whisper Silk Cloak, which happens to come in the deck. So, you know, there's that. You can actually get combat going as early as maybe around turn 3 or 4. Um, as soon as you have a chance to hit a player, you want to do so. From there, you make your deck go off and do all kinds of crazy things. For example, by turn 5, I have access to anywhere from 5 to 7 mana. A good opening hand would be something like, first turn, land, maybe soul ring into a Rakdos Signet, follow up with another land. Now, at this point, you can tap the Signet, produce the 2 uh, mana from the Signet, or better yet, go land, soul ring, Signet, next turn, follow up with a land, Tap the soul ring for another signet. Tap the two lands. Now, at this point, you probably want something like Rakdos signet and Simic signet. That will produce the four colors you need. You drop out Maelstrom, turn two. Turn three, you can swing into an opponent, uh, dealing combat damage to them. So now, let's do our math real quick out of seven. Um, give me a moment, people. All right, so you have three lands, a soul ring, and two signets. That's giving you seven mana to work with. So now, you can cast any combination of cards to add up to about 7, or just a 7-drop. Off of Yudris's effect, you'll be exiling until you hit a non-land card with, uh, with a mana cost of 6 or less. You can start making your deck go off very quickly, uh, maximizing your play, and gaining a huge head start. So even an inventable board, but you're pretty stable. So if you're someone who likes to put out a lot of creatures in Smash Phase, you want a really good curve to take advantage of this. You want that acceleration. If you're someone like me who likes to play a lot of incidents and sorceries, you want to make sure that you have a very uh, fair curve and also a lot of draw power. You're going to want that. You're also going to want some board control. Now, perhaps you're not as, you know, combat-oriented. You like a little bit of combo nonsense. Whatever you play, you want to make sure that you know exactly what you can hit off of each instant sorcery, creature, whatever. You want to memorize the converted mana cost of your main cards and deck. That way, every time you make a play, you can just start speeding through. It's actually incredibly hard to deal with early game, but becomes a bit weaker late game if Yidris can't get in that combat damage. But by that point, you should be stabilized enough where it shouldn't matter to you. Now, we have Saskia, the Unyielding. Now, this one is a little more cut and dry. You player, you choose a player, you smash somebody or their face, and you win. Okay? Hulk smash. End of story. Now, the issue is, her ability is very dependent on combat damage, so you're not going to be playing a lot of non-creature-related things to get her ability to go off. However, the fun comes in the fact that she doesn't actually need to be around all that much. Generally, what you're going to probably be doing with this deck is, you want to play early creatures. You want to gain uh, presence on board as soon as possible, so you want a pretty low curve to start with, with a couple of your key creatures being beat sticks, higher costing. Now, once you're ready to swing in and start hurting a particular player, rarely do you actually want to attack the player you've chosen. And here's why. That player has been chosen, which means they're going to be on their guard against you. They're going to want to keep you from attacking or doing things to them. So what you want to do is draw that tension away by swinging at someone else. However, if they're wide open, you want to go straight for them. Now, the turn you're ready to start swinging in, you want to play Saskia. She comes in, you choose your player. That way, they're not ready. 
So for example, in a four-player game, I'm choosing player three. Myself being player one. I choose player three. I swing in with two three threes, a four four, and a five five. Don't ask me how I did this, I'm just awesome. Now, you swing at, if they're open, the player you have chosen. Because what happens is they take the combat damage from the creatures. Saskia's ability triggers, shooting that player for that much again. So, two three threes and a four four, that's 10 damage, plus the five, that's 15, that's 30 damage in one swing. Out of 40 life, that's near lethal right out the gate. Buffs, pump ups, combat tricks, you want them all. In addition, even if you can't hit that player, if you have ways of hurting other players, such as Hydra Omnivore, its ability stage when it deals combat damage to a player, it deals that much to each other opponent. So now, with something like that, if you can at least get 4 damage off of it out of 8, cool, it will deal 4 damage to all your opponents. Now, it will also deal an additional 4 due to Saskia's ability. So, if your idea is to clear the table, you don't need a lot of big creatures, you just need a lot of creatures, and maybe some way of either pumping them up all at once, or some way of giving them infect. The reason being is something like Triumph of the Horde, which for 4 mana, 2 and 2 green, sorcery speed, all your creatures get plus 1 plus 1 trample and infect until in the turn. That includes Saskia, so you're going to want her on board the turn before you do this. By doing it, all your guys are going to be able to probably deal lethal infect to at least one other player. Now, if you can deal that lethal damage to that player, at which point you have dealt lethal damage to another player, you have knocked out two out of your three enemies. So, as I said, pretty cut and dry. Couple ideas thrown right out there. Then there's Duo of Miletus. This is group hug, but it's Wombo Combo group hug with a huge backside. I mean, eight toughness, holy crap. Bye bye! Um. <laughs> Now, let's just reread this ability because it's kind of weird to me. At the beginning of your end step, you draw a card. Nice, you get a little card advantage. Each player may put a land card from his or hand onto the battlefield. Now, this is great. Simply because if you have ways of accelerating your mana output, it comes in handy. For example, you want burgeoning. One drop green enchantment. Whenever an opponent well, plays a land card from their hand, you can put a land card onto the battlefield from your hand. Cool. So, with something like this, each player that decides, alright, I'm gonna drop out a land, alright, you get another land off of that, I believe. I'm pretty certain of this. Um, Great Word of Acceleration. Or they can choose just to draw a card. So early game, it's very nice, it's very passive. There is really no reason for someone to aggro on you, unless they've experienced this deck already and they know what you're planning. From here, you're going to want things that are set off by your draw or allow you to take advantage of having a larger hand. Um, maybe you want to focus on an enchantment board, you know, protecting all that and getting your abilities off of those. Very group huggy, you get a lot of nice little tricks. Heck, you can make everyone deck out uh, if you set it up right. However, because of the colors you're in, you also have the most protection possible. You have access to green, white, and blue. Lots of fog, lots of board control, board wipes, bounce, draw power, counter spells. You even have artifact and enchantment hate due to the red, white, and green in this. Honestly, there's not much I can tell you to do with this. You basically just want to build a have-fun deck, you know, something that you might find silly. Next up is Brea. You're playing artifacts. Run a lot of artifacts. Combo with artifacts. Win with artifacts. Infinite combo artifacts if you wanna. Seriously. If you're not playing her as an artifact deck-based commander, what are you doing with her? 
that is all she can actually really do for you. You don't get much value out of her otherwise. Finally, we have Atraxa. Now, this one is one of the most popular in bot. A lot of people cheering for Super Friends Atraxa or something like a Wombo Combo Atraxa or some combination of both, or maybe aggro attracts, I haven't really seen much of that. Um, because she has a pretty good balance of stats, she technically can kill with commander damage, and vigilance is very relevant. Being, able to, ugh, being able to proliferate, however, sets you up for the long game. You want to drop out things that care about counters but aren't so threatening that people are going to pay a lot of attention. Just start proliferating, proliferating. Maybe proliferate on a couple of your opponent's things to kind of help them out. And then when they least expect it, you smash them. So... What can be said about this set and its impact on new players? What can be said is, if you're new to this game, just learning about EDH, what you want to do is you want to think about what kind of player you are. I have mentioned in one of my logs that you want to figure out, are you someone who likes to go for the long game or the short game? Are you combo, aggro, or control? Do you like to have a lot of fun? Do you like to get straight to the point? Do you like to combo out and, um, and do a bunch of silly nonsense, or do you like for everything to kind of fall into place as it should? Once you figure that out, it starts helping you eliminate what commanders to use. In my case, I am a Spark Vorthos. I like to win by telling a story. I am a spell slinger. I don't like running a lot of creatures. So, generally, I'm going for a more control angle. Though, it can work somewhat like mid-range, depending on how long the game goes. Now, some suggestions for this deck are Storm. I am not kidding. You want Storm cards. Now, I know some people are like, Ugh, Storm. I don't like Storm. Storm is such an obvious choice. Let me explain something to you. Storm is how you're going to win the most with this. In fact, something like Brain Freeze. It's an instant two-drop blue spell. Target player mills three. Putting the top three cards of their library into the graveyard. It has Storm. For each spell you cast before it, you get an extra copy of the Storm card. So, stuff like that, or Grape Shot, or Ignite Memories, Empty to Warrens. Um, I wouldn't really recommend Dragon Storm. However, considering some of the options for win cons, it doesn't hurt for you to do that. Eye of the Storm if you want a little more chaos. Bluster Storm if you feel that maybe you can get some real progress out of it. Ground Rift actually will probably be kind of relevant to let you keep getting your cascade, uh, cascades off. There are hazes of, ra well, haze of Rage and a lot of other storm cards. Basically, with the first bit of combat damage, let's say you get in for two, you cast something that costs seven, you hit a five drop, cool, that's two spells cast. Now, for something a little more specific, I run Ethereum Horn Minotaur, it's a six drop blue red artifact creature. He has Cascade, so I hit with Yidris. Now, Cascade stacks, by the way. So, afterwards, I cast Ethereum Horn Minotaur. Two Cascade triggers on the stack. First one resolves. I get maybe something like the Tumulus Blast, which is a 5-drop red-black that deals 4 damage to target creature, but also has Cascade. Now, because of how Cascade works, you Cascade into Cascade. So now, still resolving this um, Blast, you're getting another Cascade trigger. Now, let's say I hit something like my Blood Raid Elf, which has Cascade, it's a 4-drop. So now I'm going for something that costs 3 or less. At that point, I have cast the Ethereum Horn Minotaur, the Blast, and the Elf. So, I already have 3 spells up. So I get something like, maybe, Sphinx's Tutelage. Cool, 4 spells up. Now we resolve the Elf, 
we resolve the blast, we resolve the Minotaur. Next, I cast something like Possibility Storm. Alright, that's my fifth spell, going for something that costs four or less. Hit something like a Grape Shot. Okay, I have a storm count of five. So that means five copies of Grape Shot plus the original. Six damage to something, someone, whatever. Now, Possibility Storm resolves. So now, let's say I have enough mana to cast a three-drop sorcery. It really does not matter. I'm getting my whatever cost two or less. Then, now, because how the stack works, you choose how you want to arrange everything. So in this case, typically you want your Cascade to resolve before the Possibility Storm. Now, Cascade will give you something costing two or less. Doesn't really matter all that much. You don't care about that. What you care about is Possibility Storm looking for another sorcery. You're going to flip. Now, a lot of the storm cards you're going to want to use are probably going to be sorceries. So, we have resolved the possibility storm. We have a new spell we cast, which is the sorcery, which gave us something else, and now we're up to a storm count of seven. Now, when the possibility storm goes to resolve, you're going for something. Now, let's say I hit something like Ignite Memories. Five drop sorcery, target player reveals a card at random from his or her hand. They take damage equal to that card's converted mana cost. All right. When that goes to resolve, there is a storm count of seven. That means I am resolving this ability eight times total off of technically three spells. See how that works? Basically, so long as your deck can keep playing more things, you can get a lot more value. So you want things that have Cascade. You want things that allow for more Cascade. You want things that have um, Storm. You want things like Possibility Storm, things that let you keep replaying spells. Uh, primarily things from your hand. So you're going to want a bit of draw power. You're going to want tutors. You're going to want wheel effects. In fact, wheel effects are your best friend in this deck. You get low, well, you don't get a lot of value on Cascade, but if you can wheel the hand, wheeling, for those who don't know, is the process of discarding your hand, um, drawing seven, based off the card Wheel of Fortune. Or windfall-style effects. Um, everyone tosses their hand, drawing the highest number of cards discarded this way. Now, for those of you more combat-oriented, maybe you want something like Hunting Pack. It's a 7-drop uh, with Storm that stage create a 4-4 Green Beast creature token. So, if you have something like Possibility Storm and Cascade set up, um, and you already have a count of at least 4, cool. You're cascading into something 6 or less, and then getting surprisingly a fair number of creatures. Uh, possibility Storm putting the... <laughs> Well, actually, let me explain what let me explain what possibility storm does. I'm getting ahead of myself. Five drop red enchantment. Whenever a player casts a spell from his or her hand, they exile it. Then the exile cards from the top of the library into the exile card that shares a type with it. Um, type in this case being if you cast an instant, you're going for an instant. If it's a sorcery, you're going for a sorcery. If it's a creature, you're going for a creature artifact, and so on and so forth. Anyway, you may cast that spell without paying his mana cost. Afterwards, you put all cards exiled this way at the bottom of your library in a random order. Now, you're also going to want some grave recursion, some ways of recycling um, things from your grave, replenishing your hand, replenishing your deck. Uh, you're going to want some board control to keep yourself alive. Generally, this is a thinking commander. This is a deck that emphasizes you really knowing all of your cards, what they do, how they interact. Now, I have stated before that you really want to just memorize your cards. You want to know what they do on the fly. You want to really have a sort of flow going. Even if they're not the best cards, you want to know how all of them interact with each other. You want them all to have a sort of balance. You're not going to throw in something like Doomblade and, and something like 
I don't know, act of treason, just willy-nilly. You must think, how do I plan on winning? What do I want to do with this? How can I go about it? You need for at least 90% of your deck to work in tandem with everything else. You want card A to go with card X, and you want card uh, D to go with card Z, you know? You want everything to kind of flow so that way no matter what you cast, you get value, you get a play. You do not want anything that would be a dead draw in your deck. That being said, we're moving on. Okay, so now what you want is you want to address another elephant in the room, okay? This particular set, alright, is your chance to not only improve your skill, but to really establish who you are as a player and what your story is. This game is about fun, but it also lets you craft your own image of yourself. For those who play role-playing games, you kind of understand this concept already. In this deck are a variety of legendary creatures and partner legendary creatures, all of them having fantastic skills. At the end of the day, you want to pick what makes you happy. As I've said before in my vlogs, yeah, you want what's good, but also fun for you. I understand that there are certain cards that you just really like, and if you absolutely feel it has to go in the deck, I love it that much, go right ahead. Though I always recommend picking the better options where possible. So, next comes deck building. Lands. These are four colored decks. In all fairness, you want the Ravnik and Bounce Lands. All of them. Well, all the ones you can put into your deck. In my case, uh, for Yidris, I would use, and follow me here, the Demir one, Rakdos, Gruul, Golgari, Simic. All those will give you complete access to all four of your colors in all combinations. You want to do the same for the Signets. From there, if you want to use some more non-basics, feel free. However, I would recommend going with more basics and throwing in a bit of um, land fetch. That way, you can always make sure you have access. You want some mana fixings or something like Chromatic Lantern, which comes in the deck, by the way. Um, you want to throw in as well. Now, since we've covered, like, the basis of how you have to go about this, now it comes down to how in the jimity hell do you build this deck? <laughs> okay, so EDH um, is a 100-card format. Casual, no repeats. Your commander is separate from your deck. You have a 99 card deck at that point. Your commander is a legendary creature. Has to be legendary. Um, your deck can only have cards whose colors fall into the same as your commander's um, mana identity, which is the colors used in its mana cost, as well as any abilities it may have. So, for the sake of simplicity, we'll be using the commander decks for this. Something like Saskia. You can use... Black cards, red cards, green cards, white cards, and cards that have combinations of these. You can also use creatures whose activated abilities include these colors. So, for example, you can have a black-red card with a green activated ability, or a red card with a white activated ability, or a green-white card with a black and a red activated ability, so on and so forth. But you cannot have any blue cards. You cannot have um, cards with blue activated abilities, such as a black creature with a blue ability. Reminder text does not count towards this. You want a fair balance of land depending on your deck. On average, I recommend for most players, especially if you're new, have around 36 to 40 lands. 
just to start with. If you find you don't need that many, you can start trimming some out as you go. But for me, I like to go near around 37, 36, 37. From there, um, that is from the 99, putting you down to 62 cards. We're going to say 37 land. So putting you down to 62 card slots to fill. Next, you think about what kind of deck you want to build. In this case, we'll be talking about Saskia. We'll be building a aggro deck. So because it's an aggro deck, I'm going to need predominantly a bunch of creatures. So in this case, we're going to say about 40 of my cards are creatures. 40 out of 62. So that leaves us with 22 non-creatures. Of those, you probably want at least half that to be artifacts and the other half to be enchantments. Fluctuating a bit for key instance sorceries and whatnot, you know, like board wipes and stuff. From there, you need to focus on your curve. Curve is the ratio for different current amount of costs from one and higher. Decks with a high-end curve, meaning high on one spot or the other, tend to be a tad unbalanced. For example, if your deck has a very high mana curve, um, anywhere from like 5 and up, you're going to find yourself drawing a lot of beat sticks that you can't play right away or you can't make a lot of use of. And that's going to end up with a lot of dead draws and slow the deck down. That affects speed. On the other hand, if you have a lot of 1, 2, and 3 drop cards, but um like maybe only a few five and higher, well, you'll have a very fast deck with a very low curve, which would also mean that you probably have less power. Um, generally speaking, low curve means more speed, less power, high curve, more power, less speed. You want to find either a good balance for it or a way to emphasize whichever you choose. Now, the next step in building an EDH is settling on a commander. You want a commander that's both practical fun, well, practical and fun, but also something that appeals to you. Don't pick something just because it's good. One, because you'll have less proficiency with it, on top of the fact that you'll also get bored of it and maybe struggle with the place. So, we're going to, in this case, look at Canios Anterior. Alright, choosing them. This is something I want to play. Um... Alright, so I know my colors, red, green, white, and blue. Human soldiers. Now, I have to think, well, what's the idea of this deck? You know what? We're going to go for a lot of group huggy enchantment-based shenanigans. So next I think, am I going to run a lot of creatures? Mm hmm. No, not really. Alright, next. What's my curve going to look like? I would recommend taking some notes on what your collection looks like, what you can go for. In this case, I would say my curve is rather in the middle, anywhere from 3 to 6. Well, 3 to 5, really. Now, what is my win con? When building an EDH deck, always know your win cons. How do you plan on winning? What is this deck supposed to do? How are you going to win? Why is it going to make you win? How consistently can it make you win? If you can't answer this question, you're already messing up. It's when you go, oh yeah, I built a black-green deck. Um, it lets me do a lot of crazy stuff. Yes, so how do you intend to win? Uh, how do you intend to win with this black green deck? Well, it does a lot of crazy stuff, yeah, but how do you want it? Uh, I guess I'll just poke with my commander. You don't want to be that guy. You want to know for a fact how you intend to win. Sometimes the win con is more apparent within the abilities or the, you know, stats of the card. Some are good for attacking, some for setting up your board, some with just their abilities. 
In addition to your primary win con, you'll want two or three secondary win cons. Maybe an auto win con ability, or just some sort of backup plan. In my case, because I'm a spell slinger and I don't run a lot of creatures, I'm not typically going to win via combat damage. So I have to deal with uh, my opponents with something like effect damage, or um, alternate win strategies like milling them, or something like getting them to surrender via, you know, inevitability or an auto-win con. Combat damage is still an option, so I can probably go for commander damage. Five hits from Yandris means I win, but he is not how I intend to win. From there, what you want to do is you want to make a top 10 list. This top 10 list is comprised of your top 10 must go into this deck right now, so help me Cthulhu choices. Doesn't matter what the rest of the deck is, these 10 have to fit into this deck, and so everything will be built knowing these will be going into the deck. Um, aside from oh, aside from the fact that you should know your playgroup. Don't put together things you know that are going to get you hated off the board right away. Also understand when certain cards aren't going to be effective enough for you to be running them. Okay? Now, here comes the fun part. <laughs> Game interactions. The rules of Commander are simple. Each player starts out with a hand of seven. Now it's a casual format, so certain rules are a bit more flexible, though there are established rules by both Wizards and the original creators of Elder Dragon Highlander. However, once again, casual format kind of guidelines. There is the Mulligan rule. The most current update states that you basically shuffle your hand to your library, and this particular format you would draw a full seven again. But after that, every time you would mulligan, you go down one more card. You also include the Vancouver Scry rule, which is if you've mulliganed down to six or less, once you decide to keep your hand, you can look at the top card of your library, put it on the top or bottom of your library. Before that, there was Partial Paris, which was you choose any number of cards in your hand you did not want to keep. You either put them at the bottom of your library or shuffle it in, draw that many. After that, it worked the same way with Mulligan, where you would do one less than the number you put into your deck. Now, once you have your hand established, and everyone has figured out what turn order it's going to be, generally by rolling a die, highest number gets to choose whether they go first or last. It is a multiplayer format, so first player gets to draw. Players start with 40 life, um, commander damage. If you take 21 or more points of combat damage from a player's commander, it is tracked individually, you lose the game. Now, for example, in a four-player game, if someone were to take my commander, let's say I'm running Saskia, and they dealt combat damage to me with her, I'm at three commander damage from Saskia, but let's say two other players have hit me with their commanders. So, we're going to name two more for this. So in my case, I would also get three commander for Saskia, five for Yidris, and maybe four for... Kinyaios. No, I'm going to call it Tiro. Tiro Melitis. It doesn't matter if the total amount would add up to 21. It cares about how much from one commander have you taken total. In addition, damage from commander abilities do not count. It has to be combat damage. Neither Wizards nor the creator of EDH have come up with a f um, an official ruling on Infect. So, a general and widely accepted house rule is that Infect damage in EDH is 15 rather than 10. I personally prefer to go for 20. Um, from there, typical win and loss rules apply. 
if someone's life is zero, if they try to draw with no cards in their library, if they surrender, etc. Um, auto win cons and whatnot. From there, you play the game in either a clockwise or counterclockwise order. The earlier part of the game, generally, you want to kind of play passively. Most people just try to establish their board, get their decks together. From there, have at it. For newcomers or people who are sort of bad at the game, what you want to do is kind of buddy up to a player you know is an immediate threat to you so they can assist you in making better plays. You don't want to tell them what's in your hand most of the time, but you want suggestions in a more friendly play group if you make a move that maybe is more harmful to you than it is to everyone else or might get you killed a little too quickly in the game, they might advise you against making a certain play allowing you to take it back. It's a very casual game, um, typically. So you want to reach out to other players. You want to ask for their advice on maybe is this the right move or should I not be running this anymore? Stuff like that. Help each other out. If you're not having fun, if people aren't having fun, what is the point of playing? Don't get me wrong, winning is great. I love it. But this is still a game. Finally, we need to address the elephant in the room. New commander decks, infinite combos. There was a lot of hype that Yudris was going to be very broken. No, not really considering his ability only goes off via combat damage. There was talk of Saskia being broken. This is true. However, so long as you can keep her off board or deny your opponent their plans, not an issue. So basically pay attention. There was no talk of Tiro. There was talk of Atraxa. Atraxa Super Friends. Basically, the entire idea of the deck is run every planeswalker who falls into one of the four colors. Play a bunch of stuff to enable your board, get some draw power, get the planeswalkers on board, use their abilities to win. Tada. I bring up infinite combos because some decks are capable of cranking them out very quickly and very efficiently. They are not fun for some players. Please bear that in mind. Oh! Next week... <clears throat> We will be, and maybe some of you have ideas, next week, we will be doing a podcast for Cardfight Vanguard, discussing predominantly just how to play more in length. I don't feel that I covered that enough at length in my blog, and it's easier for me to talk about it. So, until next week, I'm Lucian Graves, and as always, play Model Black.